And welcome to Small Screen Science, the podcast where we look at the science behind your favourite TV shows. I'm Karen. I'm Emma. And this week's episode is called Upside Down Science because we're embarking on a curiosity voyage mm. heading for Hawkins, Indiana <laughs> and exploring the science behind Stranger Things. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I loved Stranger Things. I absolutely mm. loved it. But, you know, you you love a bit of like 80s nostalgia and stuff too, don't you? So how did you how did you find Stranger Things? Because there was oh, a lot of that it. dripping into it. Yeah, and and the it's the all the Easter eggs back to the back to the old stuff. You know, th- I'm thinking E.T. You know, Spielberg and you know the Goonies and you know George Lucas and all that kind of stuff that was around in the 80s. Just absolutely fantastic. It's great for those of us that were around then and watching telly. Then it's just brilliant. Just love it. And don't forget, as usual, we're going to be trying to sneak in a few of the old show terms. I already got one in. Mm. I'm banking a few. Um, So see how many Stranger Things uh, quotes you can find and we'll give you a list at the end. So, well, we're talking about the science behind Stranger Things Mm. and perhaps the obvious thing for us to start with is physics. But we're not going to. We're going to save save the the physics and the alternate realities thing for a bit later. Should yeah. we start with some biology, I reckon? Let's let's go biology, yeah. So um, so we need to think about some of the organisms that are around uh, in the programme, don't we? So so some of the big ones. Um, All right, you're leading appear. me in there nicely. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you can't start talking about Stranger Things without mentioning the demogorgons and the demodogs, can you? No. So these came from the upside down, these absolutely hideous, quite creepy, weird... They're the monsters, effectively. Mm. They're the monsters that you're running away from. They're kind of amphibious. They feast on humans. They, you know, they travel in packs and, and they do have a hive mind. Yes, and that's what brings us on to, to maybe comparing it to something that's uh, around in our world. And this is ants, because there are ants not that quite do this. Scary, no, frankly. not quite as scary, but they, they do this kind of thing where they're protecting the queen in the same kind of way mm. you know, that demidogs are trying to do is protect you know, the originator, as it were. And, um, and what happens is they kind of all linked together. There's some species that link together to form a big, huge raft. And in mm. the center of the raft, there's the queen. And they'll do anything to protect the queen. So the ones around the edge are really at risk of drowning and dying. But, they, they, you know, they'll do it to protect the queen, which is just really bizarre. But it's Not definitely a, an illustration of that hive mind, isn't it? Protect the queen, protect the colony kind of yeah. thing. It's yeah. incredible. And these rafts can be huge. You can mm. see them on like Attenborough style documentaries. They are amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about the real life OG yeah. Demogorgons. Now, <laughs> can I just say how proud I am of you? Because you wrote that line for me in the script. I did. You use the term OG. Whereas this time last year, you had no idea what that was. I introduced you to that in our Love <laughs> Island episode. So yep. well done. <laughs> Round of applause. You know, we've learned plenty doing these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that OG original gangster has made it in again. It's so funny. Um, yes, so the kind of something that demodogs and demogorgons actually look like in real life is mm. this um, South Asian flower called the Rafflesia flower. Yes. And it is massive. It's not mm. just your average little rose. It can get up to four feet wide and it's got these wow. huge, yeah, google it listeners or we'll put a picture on our instagram it's amazing and it's got these really big bulbous red petals and this kind Mm. of hole in the middle which looks a bit like a mouth and essentially if you see it 
it looks like when the Demogorgon's face opens up. Oh, That's yes. exactly yeah, how yeah. I can describe it. And it's really cool because it's a parasitic plant. It lives on vines, um, but it produces um, this really intense smell of like rotting flesh, mm. which actually helps it to survive because what it does is it attracts um, carrion flies, which mm. are attracted to rotting flesh, which then will accidentally pollinate it. Nice. Very smart. Very yeah. smart. But yeah, it's a very it's a very cool plant. But it's not the only plant that we've managed to tenuously link to the show, is it? No, because um, the whole of the upside down is is covered in this horrible kind of slime, isn't it? Mm. And um, and there's an example of that actually here in our universe or our <laughs> in our dimension. Um, and that's this that slime in the mold. right way up. Yeah, in the right way, the right way up. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so come on, is... try and say the name of this slime mold. Oh God! Right, okay. It's dicti dictyostelium discordium. Does that sound about right? Discoidium, discoidium, perhaps. Discoidium. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps a, a mold yeah. expert can let us know. Um, and this can exist as individual cells that eat bacteria in the soil. But crucially, if food is harder to find, these cells all come together to form a multicellular organism, which is a little bit creepy. Mm. Um, and, it, and it turns out that slime mold can work to avoid light. So it can communicate through the use of chemicals. And um, there's even been research where slime mold has been put into a maze and it's been able to reach food. Um, even though the environment's been disrupted with light. So it's kind of avoided light, made its way through the maze to find the food. And then what it does apparently is it leaves a chemical trail behind. So it knows where it's been. Ooh, so it thinks there's style. no point There's no point going back there because either I've eaten all the food that's there or there wasn't any. Oh, that is smart. That is smart. And this whole kind of operating as individuals but coming together to form one as well is another thing we saw in the show, isn't it? Mm, Goodness yeah. me. But um, I have to admit, these plants and these this mold and everything we're talking about mm. they are they're definitely contenders for Simon Watts Ugly Animal Preservation Society. Oh, if we just yes. take that back to episode uh, <laughs> one of series two, where we talked about yeah. Blue Planet. Like they're not they're not the prettiest of things. Not beautiful, but, are they? But you know, perhaps that's what makes them um, such good contenders for inspiration for the bad guy, as it were, yeah. in Stranger Things. <laughs> they're not the they're not the whales. They're not the well loved species. No, they've definitely got their own strange little niche. <laughs> So um, one of the other key themes or one of the major key themes of the show is obviously conspiracy theories. Mm. So we've got, you know, secret government labs and CIA experiments all going on, haven't we? Yeah, so that is a really nice introduction to our first guest. Mm. We spoke to Dr. Daniel Jolly, who took some time out from being um, a very popular conspiracy theory correspondent yes. this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, he is a senior lecturer in psychology at Northumbria University, so we bothered him about all things conspiracy. So, conspiracy theories are actually quite difficult to define. I explain it as attempting to explain the ultimate causes of events as secret plots by powerful forces rather than overt activity. So the key ingredients in that definition there are that there's some secret group, or perceived to be secret, who are powerful, or again, all perceived to be powerful, who are suggested to, to have done something for their own agenda. So Princess Diana, that she didn't die in a simple car accident, as the mundane explanation, but rather she was murdered by the royal family in the UK, or she was murdered by the UK government for varying different reasons. 
And that is the crux of a conspiracy. And whilst there's varying definitions, it always comes down to that point that it's a group of people who are acting in secret. And that group of people are just perceived to be powerful. Why do people believe in conspiracy theories? So there's not necessarily a profile of who is a conspiracy theorist. There's a whole range of different factors that make someone susceptible. But to put it down to kind of black and white on, on paper, there are in essence very different reasons. With regards to a person demographics, there's no consistent evidence that there's gender or age differences. There does seem to be a relationship with group status. So if you're from a low uh, disadvantaged group, you're more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. It's thought this is because if you have received discrimination in the past, it makes you hypervigilant to look out for that in the future. And then there are some links with education. So typically those who are more educated in general do not believe as strongly in conspiracy beliefs. But that is not a straightforward relationship. With education, it builds different skill sets. So it increases your critical thinking abilities. It makes you have an understanding that complex problems can't be explained by simple solutions. So what he's saying is it's not as simple as, you know, you go to school, therefore you don't believe in conspiracy theories. It's more about the process of going to school and going through education develops your critical thinking skills. And then he said that these can actually act as what's called as a buffer to conspiracy narratives, makes you less likely to, to follow those and adopt those. So it could be said that the, you know, the kids that are on the on the program are so young that their critical skills or critical thinking skills haven't yet developed properly. Um, so they're accepting the conspiracy theory above any other theory because it seems to make sense to them. That would that would seem to be the case, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and you see this initially with some of the adult characters who really dismiss this conspiracy theory, the idea mm. that there is this um, government entity in a lab doing nasty things. Um, they literally say the line, you know, stranger <laughs> things have happened at some point about <laughs> Will Byers going missing. Um and that, well, that being the premise of the show, these are the strange things that have happened, <laughs> which is brilliant. But, you know, but then eventually they start to believe and, you know, perhaps that's a testament to just how strange things were in the show. And they really weren't able to be explained away by a simple explanation or a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And I mean, Dan also talked to us about some of the environmental factors that might make you more or less likely to believe in a conspiracy theory. Mm. And he said, basically, people don't like it if there's not a clear answer. Um, mm. And they want someone to blame if, you know, if things aren't going the way they would expect them to, because that makes it easier for us in a way that we've got this kind of pivot point that we can mm. latch all of these worries and concerns onto. And that and that becomes like the conspiracy theory itself, doesn't it? Mm. It's much easier, like you said, to p pin the blame on like a really a tangible group such as mm. the government or, or scientists, which is kind of accessible to everyone. But um, this, I mean, this was seen really well this year, actually, wasn't it, with the coronavirus outbreak? There was the kind of subsequent yeah. flourishing of conspiracy theories. <laughs> you know, it was due to 5G or it was set in motion by governments around the world. Yeah. And yeah, lots and lots of conspiracy mm. theories. And, and the trouble is that, but, and particularly nowadays with, with modern technology, I think it makes it worse. But what we tend to do is end up in an echo chamber, isn't it? So we'll go away and we'll read articles that back up our thinking and we'll watch programs that back up our thinking. And, and all this time, it's reinforcing that belief that we have in the, in the conspiracy theory. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you said that you're really motivated to defend your beliefs when you believe mm. something. Your primary motivation is to make sure that 
you justify that and yeah. it's not it's yeah. not going to be that you will go and read other sources in fact you're much more likely to go and read other sources and point out why they're wrong yeah. or or try and discredit people that are disagreeing with your beliefs so in a way you know conspiracy kind of breeds conspiracy it just keeps <laughs> it keeps yeah. snowballing really can't it and yeah that's that's the problem with the internet today mm. yeah and you see this with things like the flat earth society don't you, you see people um, finding bits and pieces of evidence from quite a while ago that kind of justify their evidence. point of view. Yes, <laughs> that yeah. justify their point of view. You know, old, um, you know, old experiments and things like that that have since been disproved. They're going back mm. to the original papers that were published rather than looking at at what's been disproved since. Yeah, and I mean, the internet also really connects communities as well. It's really quite mm. easy to find people who have the same mindset of you um, all across the world, whereas you wouldn't have ever bumped into them necessarily. It would have been a couple of guys in a shed in the village secretly discussing what you thought was wrong with the government. And then yeah. suddenly you can go and speak to anyone anywhere, um, yeah. which you know, which is quite scary. But it's, it's also been shown that if you believe in a conspiracy theory, you are also more likely to believe in more than one. Mm. Um, it's kind of a mindset of um, the world is out to get me or yeah. out to get us, you know, yeah. which is really interesting. We're straying a little bit from stranger things here, but, um, mm. you know, we are, as we said, we are living in the coronavirus situation and 2020 has to be probably the, well, it's definitely the weirdest year of my life. I don't know yep. about anybody else. Um, and, and conspiracy theories like the 5G situation, but also a group called QAnon has kind of developed very much over the last few years, hasn't it? And um, it's become more prominent and people, I think it's because people feel really powerless this year. Mm. It's, you know, it's not something you can control coronavirus, is it? Even, you know, and then you're being asked to do things that maybe you don't necessarily agree with or you're not comfortable with. And and it's easier to blame someone else for it. Um, and you can kind of you know put all your anger into that little pot uh, that's against someone rather than this kind of thing that you have no control over in your mm. life. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's easier to accept, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, we are a far cry from Hawkins here. Yeah. But um, if we if we chat about QAnon in particular, as you said, mm. like they have just like risen into the news this year. And they're they're quite an interesting case study if we're talking about um, <laughs> uh, about conspiracy theories. Um, mm. Now, they're basically a far right group that started on really obscure Internet message boards, but have now snowballed yeah. uh, into quite a large group. And essentially what they believe is there's this group of elite, powerful social and political figures who are um, paedophiles who worship yeah. the devil and are running a child sex trafficking ring. And yeah. even more than that, they believe that Donald Trump is the man that is trying to take them down. Yeah. So they believe that someone uh, anonymous who called Q um, is is posting online evidence uh, about this and about how it's taking it down. And, you know, they have top secret clearance within the US government. So they've got access to all of these files and that's how they know everything. But um, interestingly, Q has gone surprisingly quiet since the election result. Oh, mm, yes. yes. <laughs> funny that. So, um, yeah, funny, interesting, interesting. But mm. um. But basically what we're saying, listeners, is we literally, we couldn't let Daniel go without asking no. him a little bit more about this crazy group. So do you know anything about um, QAnon? So Q, QAnon, QAnon's been around for quite a few years. More so that the FBI last year flagged QAnon as a dead domestic terrorist threat because there were tangible tangible incidents where people who in their mind are trying to save the children are trying to go out and to call out these paedophiles 
but they're doing it obviously with violence. There was a pizza restaurant, uh, 2018, where someone went with a gun because they believed that that's where a child's tethering was happening. And apparently the uh, the children were being kept in the basement. So this this father, he he, he read about these, these things and he, he believed this was happening. So he went with a gun and uh, shot in, in the shop. Thankfully, he, he didn't hit anyone. And he, he realised pretty quickly when he went in the shop that it wasn't true because there was no basement. Mm. Um, but that kind of, but there's been different examples of people doing similar things where they're being radicalised. They want to go out mm. and call out the conspirators. And so this theory has kind of come at a perfect time where people potentially are susceptible with COVID, throw in the election that it's kind of got quite a following, that people are kind of endorsing this, this kind of viewpoint. Now, with, with QAnon, it kind of varies. There are different facets to QAnon. It goes back to that assumption that something sinister is going on. And there's different mm. conspirators involved, but people, like named people involved, which means that people can project whatever they want onto it, in a way, because it kind of fits a whole range of different needs. Uh, but unfortunately, it's... Mm. It's getting quite attraction, and as I say, there's been a tangible examples of it leading to offline violence, leading to people mm-hmm. doing really dangerous things um, because that's what they believe is the right thing to do. That's quite scary. That was my question. Yeah. One of my questions at some point was going to be, "What's the harm in no. conspiracy theories existing?" But you've proved that. That's <laughs> very neatly. <laughs> so bringing it back to the episode so we're talking about stranger things and one of the threads in stranger things is that something mysterious is going on in the lab in hawkins and whether it's scientists or the government there is a conspiracy thread in the in the show so why is it that often groups like scientists or science and governments really do tend to feature quite prominently in conspiracy theories why are they particularly good villains for a conspiracy theory so it always goes back to that perceived power, whereby coupled with the perceived power is that mistrust. It's people who are not similar to us, who have that autonomy that they can kind of do these shady things. But when people talk about these conspiracy narratives, it's always very broad. It's always the government. The government has done X, Y and Z. But the government is massive mm. to suggest that they're all involved in this conspiracy. It's just doesn't necessarily make sense in that tangible way to say, well, how would it actually work? But with the conspiracy narrative, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's that kind of nuance of, well, oh, it's those shady people. Those shady people, well, we, I'm not sure who it is exactly, but it's, those, it's the government. It's those people who just don't trust. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't trust them. I think they're doing something shady. Do you think, I mean, particularly if we're talking about governments or scientists or these groups, that these groups are quite uniform to everybody's life. They, they are a, quite a distant role, but everyone knows mm. of the government and everyone knows about science and scientists. So if we're looking at like TV or film narratives that want a common enemy mm. to build a conspiracy narrative around, I suppose they make quite good choices then. Yeah. Well, exactly, because it kind of it fits yeah. that rhetoric already. Our prior beliefs that we're all kind of motivated to think, oh, actually, I'm sure they're doing something shady. So we have run down the rabbit hole of theories there, conspiracy yeah. theories. We've emerged the other end of the Warren. Um, so I think it's time that we take a look at one of the other key themes in Stranger mm-hmm. Things. Um, so this is, you know, alternative realities, aka the upside down. 
Yes, it's time for a little bit of physics, everyone. <laughs> it is. Let's talk <laughs> parallel universes. Okay. Mm. So in Stranger Things, it is said that there is a rip in the space-time which creates a gateway between Earth and the Upside Down and yeah. Will Byers falls through this rip um, to find himself in the Upside Down in the first series. Um, so this is a parallel world, essentially filled with monsters and yeah. slime, as we've said. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they describe the Upside Down in the show as another dimension. Yeah, so now we're not experts in this topic area. So we uh, spoke to Professor Simon Saunders from Merton College at Oxford University. We did, yes. I mean, physics is not our strong point. And I've always no. said that actually mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Oh, <laughs> I see did what you did there. That one? Very nice. <laughs> nice. So um, here's Simon explaining what quantum mechanics is. And a quick word of warning, uh, this was recorded on a very rainy day and Simon's home office does have a glass roof, so you can hear a little pitter-patter of autumnal weather in his clips. Quantum mechanics was discovered as a theory of atoms and also photons, light, in the beginning of the 20th century. And when the mathematical equations were made final it, in the 1920s, it was, became clear that it applied to atoms applied to chemistry, and it applied to what atoms were made out of. But mm -hmm. the picture that it shows us is extremely alien and foreign to us, which is what makes quantum mechanics so difficult to explain what in reality is there. Uh, and that puzzle has remained and in many ways has intensified over the last hundred years. For all that, its application is absolutely enormous. It applies to virtually every kind of uh, high-tech technology. Um, it applies to nuclear physics. Um, it's applying increasingly in, in biology, biochemistry. And uh, we think it will apply even to ordinary matter at everyday levels. Uh, but how to make sense of that is, is, remains very controversial and very problematic. So quantum mechanics will help us understand and explain other dimensions and parallel universes. And and as we have stressed, mm -hmm. we are definitely not physics <laughs> specialists. So at this point, we had to ask the expert about other dimensions. Yeah. So we started out by asking him to simplify the idea of other dimensions for us. So in Stranger Things, there's this other dimension. So is there a, a short way of explaining the science behind the potential for another dimension. So how can oh, another world be outside of the world or the dimension that we live in? Yeah. How would that be um, possible? Yes. I mean, and I mean, I, I think it's a very fascinating question. And the, is, the parallel with time is also very interesting because with time, we already coexist with the dinosaurs. Okay. There's already an existent reality which includes us and which includes the dinosaurs. Oh, so the so the fourth dimension, which is time, includes us yeah. and the dinosaurs. Right, got you. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and everything since the Big Bang, all of it exists, coexists with us now. In the fourth dimension. Yes, yeah. in this mm. in this fourth dimension of time. Now, the many worlds interpretation is another way of things coexisting, different. But it has some similarities. Um, but the most helpful way of thinking about it is to think of electromagnetism, to think of radiation, um, and to think of um, signals, uh, beams of light, uh, radio signals, Wi-Fi, uh, TV channels. All of that stuff all involves electromagnetic waves. 
And all of those electromagnetic waves, I mean, each of those signals is a very complicated structure made out of electromagnetic waves. And there's millions and millions of those structures right here in this room all the time. Okay, so at this point in the interview, the rain picked up and the audio unfortunately does make you want to go and leave the podcast in in search of an umbrella (laughs) and some welly boots. So I'm going to try and sub in here. Bear with me, dear listeners. So he was explaining that it's it's really strange to think about other dimensions. Um, But one of the ways of explaining it is that although we can't, for example, see things like electromagnetic waves, you know, like broadcast radio waves, um, Mm -hmm. and although we ourselves can't move like them or operate like them, we can kind of still understand how they work. And that can be used to help us understand other dimensions. So if you're in a crowded room, Loads and loads of people are having a conversation at the same time. So the air is filled, the room is filled with loads and loads of sound waves. But you can tune into just one. So you can be aware of only one happening at the same time, but you know there's more that you can't see or you're not paying attention to still existing in that space. Um, So that's one way of looking at it. But there there really are many, many different ways of trying to explain it and to think about um, other dimensions. And and actually, in Stranger Things itself, uh, Mr. Clark had a really good analogy, didn't he, for explaining it to the kids? Yeah, yeah. So he said, imagine you are an acrobat and you're walking along a tightrope. And when you're on the tightrope, you can only go forwards or backwards. There's no other, you know, there's no other direction you can go into. And that's almost like those those dimensions that we can access by going forwards or backwards. You're accessing the three dimensions that we know, plus, you know, time. But um, if you were a tiny, tiny flea, and you were on that that wire, you would also be able to walk 360 degrees around the tightrope. So you're accessing another dimension, which the tightrope warper or the acrobat wouldn't be able to access. So that's how he explained about the different dimensions, mm. which is quite a good, it's quite a good analogy, like you said. Mm. And, and in order for us to, for example, be able to access another dimension, um, it would mm. actually require huge, huge amounts of energy, yeah. which is more than actually humans can realistically achieve. Yeah. And that this is where Eleven comes in, of course, because she's got these amazing kind of telekinetic and psychic abilities and she's able to access those levels of energy um, to be able to, you know, to access this this other dimension. Mm. And then her nose starts bleeding just to put a real visual on it. Um, So (laughs) essentially what we're asking is, you know, is this right? According to science is what the show does. Correct. Now, what's interesting is, is this analogy is a really, really good analogy um, for accessing an alternative dimension. And it's a really easy way to try and imagine string theory and understand what string theory is. And what string theory does is it proposes that there are lots of extra dimensions, um, but these are tiny and they're curled up into little tiny balls. Um, and only really, really small particles can access them. And, and everything else is too big. I mean, we're too big to be able to access them all. Uh, But this is all very confusing because up to now we've talked about parallel universes and we've talked about different dimensions. So it's probably a good idea for us to get in a couple of definitions. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about alternative dimensions and these are what appears in the show when Elle goes into her trance and and accesses something else that we we can't get Mm. and the other people can't access. So alternative dimensions are those beyond which we can normally see and understand. Um, Yeah. But actually what we kind of want to think about is how a parallel universe is used in the show because 
the upside yeah. down is effectively shown as a parallel universe. So mm. it is very similar to our own. And what parallel universes are is they're all part of this thing called the multiverse theory. Um, yeah. There are loads of universes that exist uh, beyond our own, all kind of stuck on top of each other. And you can't travel between the two. No, no. And um, so they make out that the upside down is actually another dimension. But in actual fact, it's a parallel universe. Mm. And that's where the confusion happens, isn't it? Um, but interestingly, talking about dimensions, um, scientists are currently looking for evidence of other dimensions at the moment because they're looking for a particle called the graviton. I mean, that is a cool particle name. <laughs> and I've got to admit, so last episode, I made mm. the bold claim that physics wasn't sexy. You did. Yes, yes. I'm backtracking. Mm -hmm. Thanks to this episode <laughs> forcing me to try and wrap my tiny mind around string theory <laughs> and other dimensions and parallel universes. I, I quite like it now. I get it. I like it. I, I understand the draw of physics. You're studying the tiniest things to understand the big the un and the why and how everything exists and how everything works. And I get it now. And I take it back and I will call <laughs> physics sexy. Nice. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> So the reason they're looking for the graviton is that it's thought that this might be associated with the force of gravity. Unsurprisingly. There we go. Um, <laughs> and Creative the theory these is physicists that, uh, in their nomenclature. <laughs> and the theory is that this graviton might be able to move between all of the dimensions. So if we can actually, um, you know, form one or find one using the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, and we can observe it, we might be able to see it disappearing into lots of different dimensions. And that's really exciting if you think about it, because it might explain why gravity is such a weak force in relation to other forces, because the thinking is maybe it's leaking into other dimensions. Oh, oh it gives me shivers. I love it. So, I mean, another analogy to have a look at um, parallel universes is the sandwich. Let's bring it back to something we can all understand. <laughs> Everyone gets we, a sandwich. So yes. the idea is you've got two flat surfaces uh, mm -hmm. in, in the sandwich. These are the bread. But in the yep. analogy, they're two parallel universes. And these are called brain worlds, um, membrane worlds, because um, they yeah. act like a membrane, uh, which is all a part of string theory. So you've got these two breads, your brain world, and then the filling in between those two is space-time. And the problem is a person, you know, even if you're the size of a flea on a sandwich, you can walk mm -hmm. around on one piece of bread, um, but you're confined to it. You can't access the other side of the bread because you, you can't go through the space-time to get to this second layer. So you're stuck in your yep. universe. But in, in Stranger Things, they do manage to get to this other universe. So, you know, how would you get from one side of the bread to the other side of bread? And that would be mm -hmm. you'd have to push a hole through to create yeah. what's known as a wormhole using tons of energy through yeah. space time. There you go. So, so that's your, that's a really good. I like that analogy. Actually, it's a really good analogy. Mm. Um, and what's really interesting about string theory when we looked into it a little bit uh, more detail, as I mentioned. Um, String theory uh, suggests there might be 10 dimensions, but there is a part of string theory called M theory. And this suggests there are um, an infinite number of membranes across 11 dimensions. And I think this is oh, key. Yeah, because it's surely is why the main character <laughs> is called 11. I would surely. have thought so, yeah. <laughs> surely. 
Yeah, because she's able to 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 make the links between these different dimensions, and and it's the eleventh dimension that pulls everything together, and that's that's the dimension that suggests there's an infinite number of membranes, each supporting parallel universes. Oh, it's all a bit of a mind flayer, this physics, but yes, eleven does pull <laughs> everything in the show together. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Superbly well done. <laughs> and okay, and talking of eleven, mm-hmm. um, her mother was given LSD during pregnancy. Yep. Let's completely change tack and get into some some biology and some very questionable scientific techniques. Um, what effects would that have? Do we think taking LSD uh, while pregnant? Well, it's it's quite interesting when you look at the research actually, because a lot of it is randomly from the nineteen seventies. Um, well, I think that's because we realised that it was a terrible thing to be doing, so we stopped giving pregnant people LSD. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, it turns out it accumulates in the placenta during pregnancy, and they've done some experiments on rodents, and it showed that it can significantly compromise the blood flow in the fetus. And, of course, that can affect development. If you're not getting enough blood flow while you're developing, it's going to affect all sorts of, all sorts of parts of your body, isn't it? Mm, mm. It also might increase the chances of miscarriage as well, potentially. Mm. Mm. But it's, I mean, it's quite quite tricky to say definitively mm. that that's all down to LSD, though, isn't it? Yeah. Which is which is a struggle because, um, you know, as we know, yes, these studies are, are really old, but also in a lot of the studies, other risky behaviours were also occurring. Yeah. Um. So you can't just say that the only variable, the only thing that was changed, was the fact that these mothers were given LSD. Um. And you don't really have a control. No. And. Um, and, you know, the only other way you can kind of have a look at that these days is to survey women who have of their own accord as part of their lifestyle taken LSD yeah. while pregnant. Um, and even then, that's not a very reliable study because often that kind of behaviour it's not isolated, no, is it? They exactly, might also yeah. be taking other things. Yeah. So it's really hard to pin down any form of kind of problem with birth or problem with the development of the child just to that one behaviour. So yeah. Yeah. Basically, what we can probably say with some certainty, though, is that it doesn't cause the fetus to develop with telekinesis. Yeah, I think you might be right. Mm, mm. Yeah, and you're going to have to trust me on that because, after all, friends don't lie. Oh, <laughs> nice. nice. I see what you did there. Mm. Um, one of the other interesting aspects of the show, though, I think, is is to do with the actor Gaten uh, Matarazzo. Um, mm. And he was born with this rare disorder um, called cleidocranial dysplasia or CCD. Mm. Um, and this mm. is a disorder he shares with the character whom he portrays, which is Dustin, of course. Yeah, which is wonderful. There's, yeah. a, there's a scene in the first episode or in the first series where he explains to his co-stars mm. as it were exactly what it is and you know that was was written into the show for him which is which is really nice to see it's kind of this little piece of science communication uh, which has you know really helped raise awareness of this condition around the world yeah and what's interesting is there's been a study looking at google searches and and the you know it was obviously a huge increase in the number of searches for this condition uh, on the internet um, and one of the most prominent features of this this condition is is an absent or abnormal bone growth, um, particularly you know the teeth and the um, the clavicles. And this this is actually featured in scenes you know within the show, which is amazing. Mm, I love it. I love that they've involved it mm. and made it a part of the educational kind of side of things. So CCD it occurs when the RUNX2 gene isn't working properly yeah so it's autosomal dominant and it basically means that it's found on one of the numbered chromosomes found in both sexes and only one copy is necessary to have the condition so it can be passed on Mm -hmm. and it's actually estimated that one in every one million people 
have the condition. So, so it's, it's, it's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I suppose we're getting near the end of the show, aren't we? So, and I think, you know, this is probably the geekiest TV show that we've actually covered. So we ought to end on a geeky note, haven't we? You love it. Yeah. You love it. <laughs> what the listeners don't know about you is just how geeky you really are. I'm afraid so, yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, you also love Twitter. Mm. There was a big old geeky science Twitter storm about the episode recently about it um, involving Planck's constant being wrong. Yeah, I know. Um, and I've got the numbers written down just so that I can go, go through then. those, okay? Geek it so, out, um, <laughs> So in the show, they gave Planck's constant as 6.626.07.004 times 10 to the minus 34. And that was wrong because that's the 2014 value. Now, okay. the, the 1985 value, which the episode was based in, was 6.26176 times 10 to the minus 34. Oh, don't you look absolutely <laughs> thrilled with yourself. Let's get some figures out on this. Um, but I have a question. Yes. By by the very definition of the name, Planck's constant, is it not constant? How come it has changed? Oh, well, this is where the, this is where the science comes in. Um, Here we go. Yeah. Because, Buckle in, listeners. <laughs> because the value hasn't actually changed. The true actual value hasn't changed. What's changed is our ability to measure it accurately. Um, and, and that's basically science. You know, as we get new information and we're able to measure things more accurately and more precisely, the science changes with it. Mm, very nice. OK, so I think that's about all we've got time for, isn't it? Let's yeah. have a look. At, let's have a little roundup of some of the things that I managed to squeeze in, shall we? Some of the show show terms. Mm-hmm. Did you spot many of them, Karen? I think you spotted most of them. I actually. did. Yeah. You did well. Yeah. So. Obviously, we talked about Eleven and we mentioned the Demogorgon and the Demodogs. They came in. Mm -hmm. We also got in a bit of telekinesis there. Um, I did get the mind flayer in, which I I was quite pleased with. that was a good one. Physics really does flay my mind. (laughs) Um, We got in a Dustin quote. Um, We went on a curiosity voyage. Um, Of course, Eleven, one of their their famous lines is that friends don't lie. Mm. And my personal favourite, I think, was I got in something from Hopper, which was mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty good list. I think it's a good list. And we did talk about singing the never ending story, but we decided that wouldn't be that wouldn't be worth it, really. Mm. Yeah, we cut that. (laughs) So we will see you next week. But if you want more from us Mm -hmm. in the meantime, don't forget that you can head over to our social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook to get a few little behind the scenes bits, find out what we look like and um, catch up with what we're working on. Yeah. And uh, obviously, if you uh, this is your first episode, please do go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. Subscribe. And we'd love for you to give us a review as well. Five star, obviously. Of course. Mm. Nothing less. (laughs) Five star nonsense with a sprinkling of science. Yes. Um, and if you are a mega fan, mm-hmm. which I'm sure there are hundreds of thousands <laughs> of you out there, um, we are also on Patreon. So we do this podcast for free mm-hmm. in our spare time. It takes a lot of work, but we do get to speak to some really, really cool people. And if you fancy chucking us a few quid, um, it can be as little as a coffee a month. You can really help us uh, keep the show running and you can support us in our scientific communication endeavours. Yes, indeed. See you next week. Bye. Bye.